You're listening to the Precision Shooting Podcast, discussing all aspects of precision and long-range rifle shooting. This episode is brought to you by Impact Dynamics, advanced training for the precision shooter. And now, over to your hosts. Hello and welcome to the Precision Shooting Podcast. This is episode number 27. My name's Rusty and with me tonight are Greg and Andrew. Gentlemen, how are we? Yeah, good, Rusty. Yep, very well, thanks. Wonderful. Can you believe it? Twenty-seven. Yeah. Anyway, flies. Just talking about not a lot for a lot of episodes. It seems <laughs> about guns, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. Good topic. Anyway, um, how's your week been? Pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty pretty quiet. Pretty yeah. good though. And done anything shooting related? Oh, I painted. Or is that my, too much to ask? Yeah, I thought about shooting a lot. I I painted my rangefinder mount, which is now complete. Well, you probably had the best week out of all of us then. Oh, Greg would have spent some money on gun stuff, surely. <laughs> Bought a new barrel. Yeah, Bought... a, uh, a wet tumbler. So I've uh, gone from the, uh, the the vibration type to the, the wet type with the um, stainless steel media, uh, stainless steel pins. Wonderful. And uh, in, in my excitement, threw a couple of lots of uh, brass through it and... Pretty amazing, actually, the results. Um, super impressed. Um, yeah, right. Pretty good. Yeah, brass comes out like you just pulled it out of a, you know, brand new packet. Out of yeah. a tumbler. Yeah, I put some six six times fired brass through that was a pretty heavily tarnished on the necks, and it just came out looking mint. Um, yeah, nice. Yeah, really good. Very good. I think I did tell you that would be the case. You did, mate. You did. And uh, <laughs> I certainly meant to tell you that as well, if, if I didn't. Um <laughs> It's good. Well, it's finally glad to hear you bought something correct because uh, you know some of your other purchases haven't gone so oh, well. Come on. <laughs> it's only money, though. I mean, <laughs> it's only it's money. It's only money. Just pull more off the money tree, you know. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Cool. Has anyone been cheating? Wow. <laughs> no. <laughs> now school holidays and a bit of interstate works put an end to that in the last fortnight for me. Yeah. So. Pretty much the same. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I've I, thought about it a lot. Good. Good. Well, that's um, the, the thought that counts, Andrew, I guess, is the, the main thing. I, I managed to do a little bit of shooting the other weekend. Um, the we, we canned a particular event we were going to run and uh, ended up getting out um, in pretty terrible winds and pretty poor conditions and certainly had a blast. Um, it was good fun. Uh, we, we re-ran a couple of the levels, or no, uh, one or two of the stages from the PRI, one being levels, and yeah, just tried to do a uh, tried to do the best with what we had, um, but hey, it was better than sitting at home. Yeah, you copped some of the nothing. the strongest winds of the year, didn't you? Yeah, uh, earlier in the day. Yeah, yeah, it was um, it was well worthwhile being out there, and uh, and it's good fun shooting though. Yeah, fun. I mean you, that's when you learn the most, I guess. And you know, listening to uh, to Todd Hodnett, you know, where he shoots predominantly, it's that all the time. Yep, and you you learn the most when you're uh, struggling the most, I guess. Mm. So it was good fun, certainly good fun. Uh, now, a um, couple of things we want to mention, the Vic Precision Service Rifle shoot uh, that we were going to organise a trip over to. Um, unfortunately, if you haven't heard yet, they had to change their dates from the 28th of August to the 21st of August, and that has thrown plans out um, this time round. So um, we, there are a few guys from Adelaide still heading over, um, so hopefully a few can go. But by the turnout that they had at the last one, they had 40... 
42. 42, yeah. Yeah, not bad. Mm. Sensational. So um, so hopefully they, they fill up anyway. Um, and so if you are thinking about getting along to that, be aware the date has changed, but I suspect they'll probably uh, pack it out Um Anyway, so get in touch with Jared. There's a website for them now, um, which we'll put in the show notes, and uh, certainly hook that up. And I know there are shoots coming up in uh, in Sydney and Canberra, uh, not too far away. And and we've um, that probably brings me on to our new uh, next point, which is our new website that is slowly coming together. Um, and one of the things on that new website, apart from uh, wonderful photos of Greg, um, aside from that, is um, is the a listing of all the different, um, I guess, the different clubs and, and stuff who'd, who'd head down the long range of the precision rifle or practical rifle style shoots. So I've listed them on there so that guys can find the information to them pretty quickly and easily and who to get in touch with. So that's uh, hopefully worth checking out. Plus the uh, that old podcast we do is up there as well, which is good. And you, you guys are looking like you haven't seen the new website, which is... Uh, very nope. supportive of you. I've, I've seen it in, in great depth, Sam. Great depth. <laughs> great. About three minutes ago. Yeah. 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 It's fresh in my mind. <laughs> oh, good. Well, what's uh, what also is fresh is uh, the new Applied Ballistics book, uh, which we had arrived during the week, and um, you guys have just grabbed your copies now. Um, we uh, bought them from uh, Huntsman up there, and they sort of got them down to us as soon as they could, which was nice of them. Mm. Um, so thanks to those guys for doing it, and I believe they've probably still got some in stock. So I've had uh, a chance to read or get started reading the book, and tell you what, I am thoroughly enjoying it, and you guys certainly will as well. Have you guys had a bit of a look through the chapters and what's in there? A, a touch? I had a, had a quick flick through, and I think it's um, you know like we were just discussing briefly before the show. It's one of those books that you don't just kind of breeze through. It oh, no. is no. very sort of captivating, I guess. And what I like about it, it's not. Um, not a story you got to read from front to back. You know, you can go to whatever chapter you know you're particularly interested in. And I probably should let you know it's not much of a story. Just I don't want to. Oh, really? I don't want to disappoint you. <laughs> really? um, yeah, sorry. No, happily mate. ever after. No, no, no. So this, the good guys don't win. <laughs> this is a step up from fairy tales. I'm sorry. Yeah, but um, no pop up. No, no. no. Greg is looking through it, um, completely disappointed. Going, it's no pop up. There's no. Uh, I'm sorry, Greg. I'm sorry, mate. It's uh, it's all sort of text and charts and some photos and stuff. You're gonna you're gonna struggle through this I'm one. I'm gonna have to learn to read. But uh, yeah, no, it looks interesting. The topics, doesn't it? Looking at uh, well, primarily uh, rifle bullet dispersion. Um, is one part, another part on advanced handloading, and another part on on general research around uh, range finders, rimfire ammunition, um, aerodynamic drag modelling, and um, some advancements in barrel technology. So it's all all looks like pretty interesting reading. And uh, yeah, well and truly. Of particular note, I'm I'm keen to have a good look at this laser rangefinder performance um, yep. area just to see how their testing went. From what I understand, it was fairly controlled testing of all the popular rangefinders, so it should be very interesting. Yeah, I really, I, I, uh, chapter two talks about the angular group conversions, which um, I, I found very intriguing, and that's the the, the discussion about um, you, you know guys will, will say that their rifle shoots better at three hundred minutes, uh, three hundred mm. meters mm. than it will at a hundred. Like it'll get a a one MOA group at a hundred, and it'll also get a one MOA group at three hundred. 
Mm. Or, 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 or more to the point, we get so, say a one inch oh, group yeah. at a hundred and a one inch group at three hundred. Yeah, mm. that's probably a, a much better way to put it. I don't know what I was saying. <laughs> we, we've got an explanation for some of the things we might say on our show tonight. Uh, we'll, we'll cover that in a moment. Um, but uh, yeah, the, um, the the fact that the group sort of improves as it goes further out, and, and uh, Brian t- studies that quite extensively, um, and the results are. Um, uh, uh, perhaps you know, what, a, what a lot of us thought would actually be the, the case um, but anyway we, we intend to spend perhaps the next show looking at, at some of the topics covered in the book and some of the research that's been done and certainly not not to uh, to be reason for you guys not to buy the book because I certainly think it's a brilliant r- uh, reference and to go into it in depth would be um, would be well worthwhile doing mm. I think it's, it's one of those books that it's you know very valuable for for shooters interested in this sort of precision slash practical long range type shooting and that there's there's not a lot of material on the topic and and a lot of the material there is is very outdated yeah, i guess yeah, credible material i mean there's yeah. credible material for the day yeah that's 20 or 30 years old mm. but it's really not overly relevant to you know like there's developments in you know projectile technology and that mm, sort of thing that, mm, the last 10 years even you know, yeah five, just or less, mm, yeah. you know and then software you know mm. ballistic software and that sort of thing which wasn't available 20 years ago mm. so yeah i guess that's why they call it modern advancements in long-range shooting um for the book so that's, that's probably that's yeah. probably the reason yeah so no black powder it's a good story as well mm. uh, you uh, you'll enjoy the you oh, enjoy the climax towards the end there good good yeah i'm looking forward to it very good. Oh, on a, on a, um, a serious note as well, <laughs> like we've been going so far, um, one of our sponsors and something that um, a couple of us are involved with, uh, which is Impact Dynamics, have released a week-long uh, long-range and precision rifle intensive course uh, held in SA later in the year. It's a five-day course that um, is going to talk about those topics and, and expand on, on each of them over the course of the five days and ending up in a bit of a sort of a, a competitive type uh, PRS style of um, shoot just to be able to hone those skills. Um, so if that's something that is of interest to you, you're thinking about getting into it, that perhaps is a really good way to kickstart your understanding and kickstart your um, involvement in the uh, in this type of shooting. Um, so, yeah, we'll link up to the website on that as well. Um, I know I'll be there. Andrew, you'll probably be there for a day or two, I suspect. Yep, I'll be there. Yeah, wonderful. And, um, well, can't invite Greg. He's got the wrong twist rate. Yeah. <laughs> can't, can't we be can't teaching. pay him enough, really, either. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's, uh, my money's value, worthless to him anyway. It's not, He's got too much of it. Uh, speaking, <laughs> speaking of which, my next note... On the um, on the uh, course uh, on on the course on the podcast sheet is uh, Greg's new purchases after you've referenced all the money he's had. But I think every, every fortnight new purchases. I try and <laughs> I try and stay. Consistent. It's a regular segment. <laughs> we should get an intro just for that segment. Hey, I've got a purchase for next podcast, but I'll leave it till then. Oh, what are you getting? You can't tell you us. Can't you have to leave it till then. It's in the mail. Right. But I, okay. okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think there, there was a few tools that he'd purchased in relation to his neck turning. Uh, set up, so it'd be interesting to see some okay. of his measuring tools. Yep, very, very good. <laughs> yes, I bought a, a, a ball, what is it, ball... Um, micrometer. Cal- micrometer, thank you. Good. But that's just, yeah, anyway, that's a side. Um, how's, that, how's that turning out for you? <laughs> oh, very good. I like what you did there. Thanks. Um, yeah, so that's, I'll just use that to measure the neck wall thickness uh, for neck turning. Um 
so yeah, that that that's been useful to help me uh, do that process. But uh, good. What were you we talking about anyway? <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sure. We should explain a couple of things about this particular podcast. Um, one of our uh, one of our listeners has very generously. Um, Wanted to give us something for the podcast and gave us um, some some beer. And um, tonight's beer that we've chosen to have a drink while we talked about the show prior uh, happened to be um, Cooper's Vintage Ale, um, which is fairly strong, should we say? Mm. Yeah, mm. and um, and perhaps it's um, it's perhaps not the best thing to drink just before a podcast. But anyway, we'll hopefully we uh, cope, we adjust, we, well, we adapt, know, we adapt, overcome. <laughs> That's it. So um, hopefully we'll get through this podcast yeah, we'll and uh, you guys can have a bit of a laugh at us because um, mm. uh, we're probably laughing on the inside. Um, speaking of free stuff, um, we still, we've still we got a couple left of the Precision Rifle products load right gear, um, kits to give away. I won't do the spiel because... Um, I've probably heard you guys have probably heard it enough. Um, we want to get uh, we've got some more questions that we need to answer on the next uh, episode or two, and so we are always taking more questions for that. So basically, if you send a question via Facebook, I think our email is not working yet until the new website's configured correctly. But um, hit us up on Facebook or something along those lines, and uh, we will get to your question and chuck it through on the podcast. And if we uh, if we read it out, um, the the, all the questions that are read in one episode, we'll choose our favourite and they win something, which is pretty good because these things are worth about a 70 or 80 bucks. So, uh, and we'll get that out to you as well. So, uh, keep those questions coming. Uh, that would be wonderful. We've had some good ones so far. Good. Well, um, oh, one other thing, one, one more piece of news. Um, there is a Impact Dynamics catch up in which. Formerly Southern Shooters catch up, um, which is in about what three, four weeks. On the sixteenth of August. Oh, so about a month. Yeah, yeah. And we are going to be um, broad or recording uh, live from that, um, which should oh, I've just I've just put two and two together, and it's at a pub, and they're going to be serving beer. This could be there may be some heavy editing going on to that podcast. <laughs> There might be some heavy editing going into this podcast as well, actually. Um, uh, but anyway, we're going to try and record a podcast at that particular um, uh, that particular event and get some uh, some of the guys that are there and guys and girls to ask questions as well. Plus, we might get a few special guests to have a bit of a chat about various things as well. So that's uh, going to be if you are in Adelaide on the sixteenth of August. That's at the Havelock Hotel from about seven o'clock. Come along and. Uh, uh, buy yourself a beer and have a chat with us and have a chat on uh, the microphones as well. It should be good fun. Always a good night. Yeah, always is. Pretty uh, pretty good fun. Sweet. All right, guys. Well, uh, tonight, Greg's already um, r- not ruined our topic, but got it started. Um, we're going to talk about um, cleaning brass and tumbling and, and different ways of doing so, and then also inspecting brass. And I guess we'll just see how far into brass prep we get. So now you were, you were saying you've just bought a new a new more toys for for Greg. Yeah, more um, toys. Yeah, I'm running out of space on my bench, but I'll, you just I'll, buy another house. I'll buy another bench and put more stuff on it. But um, <laughs> now this this uh, uh, the tumbler I bought, wet tumbler. I'm super impressed with it. But just long story short, so which one is it? It's the Rebel Seventeen um, tumbler. Pretty industrial grade looking thing. Yep. Um, Got it through the armory. Uh, out, out north. Oh, out had, north. 
Ben Johnson from yeah, the Yeah, Ben Army. Johnson. So uh, shout episode. out to him. So did me a good deal there. And um, uh, yeah, so basically the brass that comes out of that thing is super impressive. Um, it's so clean. Just looks like brand new. And that's a stainless steel. Yeah, stainless steel pins for media. And you just put a couple of tablespoons of um, dishwashing detergent and a little bit of this lemmy shine, which sort of shines up the brass and... Two hours later, you got pretty much brand spanking new brass. Yep. But the, the the thing that impressed me, besides being nice and shiny and, you know, every shooter loves shiny brass, but just from an inspection point of view, you don't really miss any imperfections in the brass, and, and that's what really jumped out at me because I was going over some brass that had been, like, fired six times, and, you know, I was having a really good look at it and just seeing some splits on uh, on a couple of them that I probably would have missed if I was just doing normal um, vibration tumbling. Yeah, so what, what did you clean with before? It's probably good to cover the different methods. Yeah, so I just used the... Um I don't even know what brand it was, but just your typical vibration um, tumbler, which just full of, like, corn cob media. Yep. Um, you throw your brass in there and it just vibrates the brass in a, in a dry scenario uh, through that thing. And it, it, you can, you know, results vary. I, I know when I first put brass in and when it was new, when the media was new, it was pretty good results after about four hours. But, you know, as t- excuse me, as time goes on, you know, that, that result seems to be a bit weaker. Um, doesn't do primer pockets, um, doesn't do internal. Uh, not that that's huge, but, you know, um, yeah, you, you're you limited in the performance of that particular uh, method, whereas mm. stainless does in your primer pockets, inside, outside, is just perfect. Yeah. Yeah, and I've heard a, you know, a few people initially when, I think um, STM, which is stainless tumbling media in the States, I, I bought a tumbler from them a few years ago, they were fairly much the first sort of commercial entity to come out with it, and I heard people sort of criticising it then as, oh, you know, you, you need to to wash your brass afterwards, you know, rinse the cases, and then and before you dry them. And my experience with um, the vibratory type tumblers, like you know, Greg was talking about, was that you have to clean your brass anyway. Like the, you get left with a fine residue, like sort of powdery residue on the cases, which, you know, to my way of thinking, can't be good for. You know, consistency if you got that kind of powdery residue inside the case, you know, with, you know, with powder burning. So, like, pretty much the same as Greg. Once you know, I got that tumbler and used it. It was it was an eye opener, really. I mean, it allowed you to see not only sort of how clean your cases were, but inside the primer pockets and the flash holes. You, know, you could see any any burrs on the flash holes, holes so much easier than. You know, like you'd, you'd tumble a case or vibrate clean a case and you'd kind of, the inside of the case would be dark so you really couldn't see, yeah. not a lot of light sort of reflected in there. Yeah. And, you know, what Greg was saying about being able to inspect the brass a lot easier, I found if you're under a bright light with a case that's been cleaned with a stainless tumbler, it just, the inside of the case almost lights up. You can actually see inside the case, not just the outside as well. So, mm. yeah, it's, a, it's just a fantastic tool really. Yeah, no, it's... um Definitely something worth getting. I, I'll probably just say, yeah, it's probably not the cheapest thing to set up for, but um, certainly from from a long term perspective, it's something that's not going to wear out, you know, very quickly. Well, it may take many, many, many years before it wears out. The media doesn't wear out, um, so it's a pretty good long term investment. Um, but yeah, to set up is probably a bit rich compared to a 
a normal vibration tumbler, but but definitely a direction that um, you should consider when you look at how many thousands of rounds and you split that cost over, you know, thousands of rounds. It's quite, quite, um, quite good. Quite good, yeah. So it's probably, I guess, worth asking the question on the uh, ultrasonic cleaners. Um, yeah. Having not really used one, I've, I've played a little bit with one and wasn't overly impressed. I think, Greg, did you yeah, have a play with one? Yeah, I went from um, vibration in corncob stuff to ultrasonic and I considered it for me a slight step up from that but what I ended up doing was doing a little bit of both like what I was doing was depriming my brass I was putting it in the ultrasonic and doing what was it three lots of 14 minutes that just the way mine works so it, it was a reasonable amount of time but it would come out pretty clean like fairly clean but you still had that whole tarnished effect across it it didn't actually obviously polish the brass just cleans it off i guess it would just remove the the actual carbon yeah and stuck to the case and it did a reasonably good job of cleaning inside and the primer pockets but not to the extent of the wet tumbler like the wet tumbler is just you know just the, the next step above but um you know, I was pretty happy with that process, and you know, then I'd, I actually stole the the wife's food dryer, which now lives in my uh, reloading bench, which I throw my brass in, my wet brass, to to dry it off. But um, she hasn't found out yet, so I'm in the good book still. But um, not for long, not until we tell her. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't listen to this. Yeah. No, no, <laughs> sure she would. when we tell her. Yeah. <laughs> All right, you're banned from my place. But. Um, yeah, no, I, I think ultrasonic's good, but what I was doing was I was cleaning it off ultrasonic and then I was actually throwing it back in the the tumbler, the dry tumbler, just to polish it up a bit. Um, but yeah, nowhere near, no, nowhere near that level that the, the, the wet tumbler can achieve. I generally dry tumble my brass. Um, it's only because I've been able to afford one of the stainless ones yet. I'd love to. Um, I do have an ultrasonic sit- sitting there next to you, Andrew, but I generally just use that for parts and cleaning dyes and that sort of gear. I haven't really done a little bit of brass in it and decided I didn't love the results, so I I um, stopped. I think it's it's probably fairly dependent on, on the liquid you're using, from what I gather. Yeah. Yeah, I tried it in beer and it just didn't didn't seem to respond too well. So perhaps a bit more research required. You probably shouldn't have drank the acetone. You should have used the acetone in the ultrasonic cleaner. But. Mm. That explains a lot, actually. It explains a lot. I've, I've I've gone back to the dry tumbling and I'd love to go to stainless, but it's. Um, mm. I think one of the things that uh, um, often sort of talk to people about is is the. Um, the level of effort required in the different types of mm. tumbling. So with the with the dry tumble, um, uh, like with the corn cob media, it's effectively you turn it on, you wander away, you um, wait whatever given time it is, be three hours, four hours, five hours, mm. and you come back to it, empty it out, and away you go. Um, Actually, f- I've not had it that easy with corn cob. I find. I start pulling out the rounds, and there's one piece of corn cob sitting in the flash hole. Ah, so this is another another aspect to it. So I I leave my primers in uh, when I do that. Um, if I'm going to put them in corn cob, and then effectively just chuck them in the media separator, spin them around it, and it's done. So it's not a big time commitment. Whereas I found the ultrasonic, while it will get it done in 10, 15, 20 minutes, I then got to dry the cases and either chuck them in the oven or use something that's still. Mm. Greg's wife's um, um, 
food dryer. Yeah. Hey, hey, it yeah. works well. Works well. And it's yeah, got right. multiple shelves for all your different lots. That's I guess good. I know where I'm dropping my brass next That's time exactly. I need to dry it. <laughs> That's exactly right. Well, I think he's just offered. I think he's just offered. So um, so in terms of the, the time commitment in, in that side of things, really good if you need your brass done now. But um, perhaps it was it was there was more effort involved. And so I, I've, I went back to the corn cob um, and that I, I found that useful. But mm. in terms of um, I, you know, decapping your your primers, um, I've got the decapping dies there for when I end up getting the stainless mm. um, tumbler. Yeah, I mean that using the the dry tumbling method, you know, because it could appear to be a little less time consuming. I think it could be a little bit of a false economy. And if you're leaving the primers in, like the spent primers in, and then you know decapping after. You've still got, you know, considerable carbon residue from the primer in the primer pocket. So presumably, the, you then have to go through and clean that out manually. Well, I guess you don't have to, but if you want ultra consistent ammo, you would do it. So that then adds considerable time if you're doing a batch yep. of four or five hundred cases. So, sort of my procedure with stainless tumbling would be, I've used a, a decapping die as well, and you know, from when you've got a fired case there, I decap it, tumble it and then dry it and then size it yep so to me one of the big advantages of, of that method of, of, of the stainless tumbling is there's no foreign bodies basically foreign particles going into the die yeah um, you know like if you've got any carbon at all on your case even you know residue from a dry tumbling tumbler and you're pushing that into your die it's got to go somewhere it's either going to damage your brass or your or your die or both Yep, certainly. Yeah, you know, to me, if you're spending good money on a set of dies and you want consistency, you know, particularly with neck tension and that sort of thing, hmm. the cleaner you can get that case, the better that's going to be, pretty much. C- certainly agree. And I, um, the majority of the stuff I put through the dry tumbler is is stuff that is used on mass, perhaps not the high precision stuff, um, which I I have um, commonly gotten someone to to put through a stainless steel for that very reason. Um, while it takes more effort, um, perhaps it's uh, very useful. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, I mean, we were just discussing off air earlier tonight about, you know, getting the, the sort of rotary media separators, if you like, for yep. um, mm. for the stainless tumblers. I think both Greg well, and for, I... Well, for any tumbler, really. Oh, any, yeah. any tumbler, yeah. Agreed. I mean, mm. it, it's uh, sort of something that uh, Greg and, and I probably both need to um, to look at buying, and I might just get Greg to buy me one. And um, yeah, be done with it. No you just shout all of us one, I think. Uh, <laughs> I've got one, but I'll take a second. And uh, actually, he probably actually, there's none in stock in Adelaide at the moment, so it's not good. We can put things on automate. There's no dramas there. And, and Greg, I think it, Greg just offered to to buy one for the podcast to give away, which oh, is wonderful. Geez. Thanks, Greg. After you buy that rifle, we saw uh, at the um, shot show. He's was going to be the podcast giveaway. Well, the what air rifle one? The TRG thing? <laughs> the M10. M10. Yeah. I'm pretty sure you said that was going to be the... Um, actually, I might post that video. Anyway, <laughs> the commitments you've made. Mm. Now, that that aside, and I guess, yeah, there, there is a number of different ways, and the stainless certainly is is seeming to lead the way. I've, mm. I've not really heard much negative about it. Um, is there some downsides? One of the things I heard um, as a possible issue with it was... Surely, you know the the stainless steel media would have to be removing some of the brass material, and and uh, that was one of the early ones that I initially thought of. And I know stainless tumbling media, you know, the company in the United States, they did a test where they tumbled for 
you know, it was a long time, like over a thousand hours, a particular batch of brass. Wow. And, you know, they measured the weight of each of those cases prior to going in and, and coming out, and there was no difference. Yeah, no, right. No discernible difference at all. So it's probably pretty clean. Yeah, it was very clean. Mm. And evidently, it hadn't actually removed anything other than the you know, contaminants on it. It hadn't touched the, the weight of the case itself. So mm. the way I see it, I, I don't see a disadvantage with it. Mm. There's, a, there's a lot of advantages. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Not owning a separator is a disadvantage because you've got it's, to shake out all those bloody pins out of each shell. So that slows you down a little bit. But, yeah, but um, I think, yeah, that's a pretty simple one to get around, really. It is. Just yeah, spend just, some money, Greg. There's, yeah, it's just the efficiency side of things, you know. Certainly. That. I actually think those media separators are probably quite underrated. A lot of, a lot of people didn't know they exist and, and aren't aware of them. Um, yeah, I paid, paid no attention to them until I got a stainless, but I sort of look at it now and go, gee, I wish I got one back when I was just doing normal, mm. you know, vibration media. Yeah, regardless of the media you, yeah. you're using, it's still going to fill the case up and need to be tipped out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, what would be um, what would be good uh, to to do is to take take a step back and look at why we actually clean the cases and, and where the benefits are. And of course, if we're getting a, a better clean out of stainless or, or whichever one, um, we'd we'd obviously love to hear people's thoughts on what they use and why they use the particular ones they use. Um, but yeah, to take a step back and have a look at actually why we clean our cases and, and where the benefits can be had. Because um, I still, you know, get people to this day saying, "Oh, yeah, no, I don't, don't bother cleaning cases. That's a waste of time." Yeah, right. I think I, it depends on how, you know, sort of pedantic you want to get as far as, you know, consistency, basically from from load to load, you know, from cartridge to cartridge, as far as you know, neck tension, and I mean, if you were to take a dirty case that's been fired and left to tarnish and's got carbon on the neck, and you then push that through your resizing die I mean carbon is is harder than steel it's going to damage your die there's no two ways about it and if you do that thousands yep. of times you're going to change the, the you know the internal dimensions of your die what about is, what about carbon steel is that harder again well that, it's not going to damage yeah. the carbon in yeah. it is it it's going to damage yeah. the steel yeah, never mind carry on sorry <laughs> all the steel's got carbon in it but no I mean it's if you're not putting a perfectly clean case into your die you will be dimensionally changing your die Every mm. time you put a round through it, mm. um, simple as that. So, you know, if you're loading with a with a particular die now, and then you load five thousand rounds with it without cleaning your brass, I guarantee you it's going to be different in size, um, which is going to create different neck tension, you know, which is going to create different velocities, which you know translates into bigger groups effectively. And I mean, it's also probably for me one of the the other reasons is. Particularly uh, with with the stainless tumbling, given that it cleans so thoroughly inside the case as well, the inside of the neck, um, if you've got really clean bare brass there, you're going to get a consistent neck tension on the projectile, basically mm. holding it. Whereas if you've got carbon in there, you know, some more, some less, I mean, it's going to create probably more neck tension in there, yep. um, holding the projectile in. So... For me, it's consistency. If you've got like 100% clean brass versus, you know, some have got more carbon build-up, some have got less, you're just removing that variable effectively. Mm, well and truly. Greg, you brought up a point before we were talking about um, with brass and why you would clean it. Well, it's, um, well, 
primarily I, I'm, I'm aligned with Andrew in terms of protecting my dies, but also you know the the um, you know primer pocket being properly cleaned is another benefit. Just just seeding in that that uh, primer at consistently uh, into a clean primer pocket um, is another benefit. But um, yeah, that that's pretty much Andrew covered it from my perspective. Yeah. The other thing it does is it certainly makes inspecting brass oh, a lot easier. Of course, of course. Yeah. Yeah, we talked about this earlier. We did. And, and so being able mm. to look for issues with your brass yeah, on clean brass versus sort of dirty brasses, yeah. they stand out a lot more. Absolutely. And and I found that with the brass I cleaned in the in the tumbler is, is I pulled it out and any little imperfection just sort of jumped out at you. And um a whole lot more than and than other ways I've cleaned. So you know you can really look at your brass and and see any issues that potentially could be sitting there. And and I actually because normally I, I look at my brass and go yeah, yeah that's all right off off I go. But the stuff I I pull out of the stainless you sort of go oh what's that and you want to look at it closer. Yeah, it's, okay. it's it's you know it just draws you in a bit more. I, I you guess can see it a bit easier. You can see it so well, and you can see the characteristics of the imperfection. You know whether it's a crack or whether it's a just a dent, and you you just sort of want to pick up a magnifying glass and have a good solid look at it. So from that perspective, I think it's yeah, it's a really good thing. I think you know, particularly on the inside of the case. Um, I don't know whether you guys have ever experienced a case head separation. Yep. In the chamber, um, but often it's due to you know possibly a excessive or on the longer side of headspace on yeah. a particular gun that you've then you know bumped back maybe full length sized a few times and often it happens you know maybe a sort of a quarter inch up from the the extractor groove on yep. the case is a pretty common area for it to go seems about right and by the time you see that on the exterior of the case even on a really clean case on the outside it's almost gone often you don't see it until it's gone whereas if you've got a case that's really clean and shiny on the inside just even holding it under a relatively bright light yep you can see that the sort of that ring is sort of it starts to go normally on the inside of the case so i haven't experienced it with my own gear but i have you know clean brass for other people and you know, a whole batch of cases could be you know one shot away from about to go going and you know it's not necessarily a danger issue but it's certainly if you had that happen on the first round of a hunting trip it could end your trip, so yeah, well and truly, you know, um, yeah, just that being able to see so clearly inside the case, particularly for me, is another big advantage. Yeah, yeah, it certainly makes that um, it makes that far easier to spot and far easier to see. And yeah, we do something with the, the reloading course we run where we we get guys to inspect cases and and show them how much easier it is to do on a clean case than it is on a dirty case because it's just in instantly see it and, and the cleaner you can get your brass might may or may not shoot better um that's certainly you know debatable um but it's gonna gonna make it easier to see whether it's going to cause you problems or not yeah yeah and I, particularly if you're chasing sort of the nth degree of accuracy oh I, yeah absolutely you know, for, yeah. for a guy that's that's shooting pigs at 100 meters it's not going to make a lot of difference for him yeah but but it certainly could make a lot of difference for you know avoiding an issue that could end his hunting trip yeah so. yeah well well and truly well and truly and and i guess some other aspects of of working with brass we've talked about cleaning and inspecting and the other thing that perhaps is not not so common is annealing 
and I know Andrew, you've sort of recently done up one of your uh, your your setup to be able to sort of do more so. Yeah, I mean, I some years ago I purchased a bench source annealer, and it basically utilised two torch heads um, yep. with the little propane bottles attached to them, and you know it's a fantastic setup. Really, really happy with it. I just you know, recently bought the attachments so I can effectively run both torches off one LPG cylinder. Yep. And it works a treat. Um, so that side of things, you know, I've sort of recently done that, but I've had the annealer for a while because I've always sort of believed in the benefits of annealing. So share, share with us what the benefits of uh, annealing are. Well, again, for me, consistency is, is key. Um Brass work hardens when you know when you fire it, and then when you resize yep. it, you're working the brass. You actually harden it considerably, and you imagine, say, taking a virgin case that's come straight from from the factory. Most manufacturers, well, all of them actually anneal their brass after manufacture, so you've got it at a certain hardness level. You then fire it, and then resize it, and then fire it, and then resize it. A lot of guys might get ten or more reloads out of a case. Even less, you know, even half a dozen certainly be a, a massive difference. The the neck tension you're going to have on, on say a case that's brand new versus a case that's been fired multiple times, hmm. the hardness of the neck will be considerably different. Therefore, when you push it into a to a resizing die, you, the amount of springback you're going to get will will vary dramatically. Yep. So when I've been loading for trying to achieve maximum consistency. I'll re anneal the brass after every reload so that basically every time it goes into your resizing die it's at the same hardness level level the neck and the shoulder hmm. um again for me it's more about not necessarily about extending brass life which it certainly does yep. um you know preventing the splitting you know when when brass gets hard from work hardening it will split for me personally it's been more about consistency and this is one which I've been meaning to do a an in-depth test on you're having several batches of brass that have been fired various number of times versus annealing every time oh yeah to yep. measure you know, muzzle velocity standard yeah. deviation and that sort of thing so that's one which i will do when i get the time that'd be a good test actually. but i think certainly the, the theory of it is that it will make it more consistent if your annealing method is consistent yeah, very good. I mean, I I, I remember a, uh, a friend of mine went to um, now I'll, I'll probably get this wrong, but I reckon it was Norma. Um, yeah, it was in Sweden, so went to Norma and and actually watched their process of it, and and every every pro uh, every step of the way of their process with actually forming their brass, they annealed every single step. So they do the extrusion and then anneal and then continue it and then anneal and and that sort of really hit it home for me that it's probably something that should actually be done pretty much every time um when you're trying to get um brass life but also yeah you're right consistency yeah and i mean i guess the consistency side of things and this is one of the things i want to do a you know a more extensive test on would be if you had a batch of brass say 100 cases and yep. you all fired them fire them all once and then you, you know, clean them properly and resize them and fire them again, you know, I guess it, you would imagine they would all be maintaining their consistent hardness level. Yep. It may change, obviously, from shot to shot or from, you know, from how many times it's been reloaded, but I think it's one of those processes that 
yes, it's not cheap to set up a good annealer, but once you've got one, it doesn't actually take a lot of effort to anneal your brass between firing. It's quite a quick process. Mm. So, yeah. yeah, prior to children days, I decided to invest the money and um, and bought the equipment. I'm glad I did because I think it's it's worthwhile doing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Greg, Greg's just pointed at something in the new applied ballistics book. Um, yeah, yeah, just to, you know... Um, just to go on what Andrew's been talking about, there's actually a section in, in the new book here on the uh, modern advancement of long-range shooting, uh, page 147, where, where Brian's done a, a series of tests uh, on standard deviation around, um, oh, it looks like fifth firing brass, uh, oh, actually... There you go. The, the, I need to it read. It have actually been done. <laughs> I think it's already been done, Andrew. And um, you can still do one for sure. I'll do a more in-depth one. But all I'll say right. at this if stage, he, if he's done five, you'll do seven. <laughs> <laughs> but at this stage, I'll say it's a it's a positive result. It probably verifies what you're thinking, Andrew. Um, but I guess we'll talk a bit more about that on the on the next show. I guess, but uh, it looks like it's worthwhile process. Oh, I think it's definitely worth mentioning that. Um, consistency of your annealing process is is critical and i just i sort of glanced on the page of your uh, your book there sam that um he's using well it was an induction annealer which is i think the next step up from from flame annealing um a good unit like the one i've got the bench source annealing machine it it is good if you set it up right it's consistent whereas annealing uses you know electrical current and it's way more consistent i mean from what i gather and reading i've actually read a little bit about it it's you know, yeah temperature control wise it's it's a lot more consistent than using flame is that so yeah the the, the one you're pointing to there is a flame annealer um and the other one which i oh, it escapes me the name of it it's an um, induction annealing um it basically it's a slower process in that it uses you can only do one at a time um but controlling the temperature is, is more consistent and controlling, you know, the time. So I would imagine that if you were to metallurgically test cases that had been annealed in that versus a flame annealer, it will be more consistent. But having yeah. said that, I think a good quality flame annealing machine, if you are consistent with how you set it up and yeah, you're careful perform. with the way you set it up, uh, there's no reason to think it's it's not going to be consistent. However, I've seen some really really dodgy techniques for annealing you know, versus you know, things like you know, stick it on a drill and uh, ciggy lighter that sort of stuff yeah, yeah. yeah pretty much good <laughs> that level you know so um, annealing is good but it's got to be done correctly yeah I didn't I didn't realise there was different types of annealing yeah, yeah okay. an, annealing um, with um, induction annealing is, is fairly recent yeah okay um, but probably not for people that really know and understand sort of more than I do, um, but flame annealing. I mean, I've heard you know people say, "Oh, you stand your cases in a in a tin of water or you know, a tray of water and heat them with a blowtorch until they're red and tip them over in the water and this sort of thing." Oh, it's probably amazing. More guns haven't been destroyed, from, <laughs> you know, with that sort of technique. But um, you're already you've you've done more annealing than probably Greg and I have combined um, easily. Probably more this week than Greg and I have. No, pretty much all my brass was done like a week ago. So. <laughs> yeah, actually, I did That's, all my brass at Andrew's place the other yeah, week. So. Good. So um, what's your take on um, putting them into water after annealing? 
Because I see that sort of is a, is a fairly common thought. I'd say probably common misconception um, in that all the, the commercial good quality flame annealing units don't utilise that. And it's basically, as long as you're removing the case, you, you get the neck and shoulder up to the required temperature. Yep. And then you remove it from the heat source. Um, it, there's no benefit whatsoever. And it, it could be detrimental to actually cool it quickly. Um, because you're not trying to stop the heat from reaching the, the head of the case, for example, where it needs to be different hardness than the, the neck and shoulder. Yep. Because once you remove it from the from the heat source, obviously brass does conduct heat very well. Mm. But as long as it doesn't get above a certain temperature, you're not actually going to damage the metallurgy of the sort of the case head area of the you know the brass. So I've done a little bit of research into brass metallurgy, and there's certainly no factual basis to quench brass when you're annealing it yeah okay um it reacts very differently to steel so people think oh you know i don't want you know steel you quench it it gets harder yep it does you don't necessarily want to quench your brass and certainly no commercial units utilize it yeah Um, okay so again i'm not not a metallurgist by trade but from what i have read it's certainly not a process you would you'd use with annealing brass very interesting basically yeah uh, you know, with the unit I've got, you've, it's sort of set up with a, a disc, I guess, with multiple holes in it. Yep. And once it's gone through the flame, it uh, you know exits out the back and just drops into a container you have out the back for it. It's probably yeah. worth mentioning, Andrew, how you how you do a quick calibration of of um, setting up the machine, like using uh, what is it, Tempi? Tempelac. Tempelac. Yeah, it's basically just a temperature indicating liquid you you, know, you uh, apply to the brass in certain areas in the case which effectively, once it's uh, applied, it dries fairly quickly, and then it actually liquefies, like melts, when it reaches a specified temperature. Okay, yeah. So, you know, you can you apply it to the case you know, in appropriate areas, so you know when it reaches a certain area on the case, it, you know, it's reached that temperature. Yep. So yeah, you basically okay. can start low and work your way up, effectively. Mm, and you can see how far down that temperature's going as well. Yeah, so, yeah, so you know no, that you know, it's not reaching whatever the uh, particular temperature you're trying to avoid avoid in the Mm. lower areas of the case it's it's pretty quick and easy really too it is it Mm. is it's once you've got the machine set um Mm. the process with with my gear as you saw greg it's pretty much you can sit there and have a beer while you've got you know take the time at the start to get it set up and then you're just feeding brass into it yeah and it probably only took us a couple of shells to get it calibrated and and away we went yeah, yeah. And it, you know, it doesn't damage anything. You just mm. just scrub the you know the template off with a brush, and yep. the case is good to go. So, I'd I'd probably advise not drinking vintage though. Um, seems seems to be pretty uh, potent stuff. It is, but once you got the machine set, you'll be all right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> good advice. Good advice. Well, um, hopefully that's covered a little bit on the topic of um, brass cleaning and and a little bit of. The first steps of brass prep, um, certainly not claiming to have done brass prep all in one episode. That's a fair bit of stuff going on. But um, what we'd, we'd love to hear from those who are listening about what type of uh, what type of uh, brass prep they do, what type of cleaning they do, if, they've, if their experience has been uh, different to ours, um, it would be wonderful to hear. Particularly mm. someone who's had quite an extensive experience with ultrasonic. That would be really good. Mm. Um and it would be good to uh, to hear if anyone's done induction 
um, annealing because uh, yeah, that's something Absolutely. I hadn't come across uh, up to this point. Although having said that, I'm ten pages shy of that particular part of the book, so another another day or so, and I'll, I'll be up to it. I'll be well well over it, all over it. So, which would be good. So, a couple of things just to reiterate: the uh, Vic uh, shoot has changed its dates. Um, make sure you're aware of that. Um, the yeah, next couple of episodes. Next one is going to be about apply ballistics. Hopefully, if we can read it in time, and the one after that is going to be the live one from the precision uh, from the. What am I talking about? Impact Dynamics Catch-Up. That's the one in town on the 16th of August uh, at the Havelock Hotel, so make sure you come along. Uh, there was something there about Precision uh, Rifle Products, uh, some, a giveaway for them. And also, um, thanks to Dave for the beer. You've uh, certainly helped us out for content tonight. <laughs> Maybe. Anyway, thanks, uh, thanks guys for listening. Thanks for tuning in, and uh, we'll have to speak to you again sh- uh, shortly. Thanks for listening to the Precision Shooting Podcast. To continue the discussion, check out our Facebook page. And for more information, head to our website, www.precisionshootingpodcast.com.au. This episode was brought to you by Impact Dynamics, advanced training for the precision shooter.